Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 1, 14 through 19. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Genesis 50, 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, do not be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This morning, we are going to continue in our sermon series called Beginnings. And we've been doing so by looking at the creation story, the first creation story found in Genesis 1. And while doing that, also being in conversation with a book by Steve Weens called Beginnings. And we're looking at the creation story to help us interpret our new beginnings that we experience in life. And so far each week, there's been a particular Hebrew word that has helped us focus and understand what we can learn from the creation story. The first week, day one, when we looked at it, tohu wabahu, that's a fun word, and uh, that is what that one means is that it's out of the chaos God, and in the darkness, God spoke light. And then on the second week, on day two, it was rakea, which means the expanse, that God is over the expanse, but also God is um, expanding each one of us. He's sifting us. And I don't know about for you, but when I heard that message when Mark preached that, that just is really convicting. That time of sifting, when you know there's some things in your, your life that aren't right and that need to be brought before the Lord, um, those are hard times. But we need those times because those are the times when that happens, it's like, Tilling the soil, and it's allowing those seeds to grow up. Uh, and that leads us to the third, the third week, and this was last week, on day three. And the Hebrew word was zera, and that's the word for seed. 
Um, it appears throughout Scripture many, many times, and it's translated as seed or as offspring. And that's talking about when the seeds that God has embedded in our lives start to become visible. It's the signs, those first signs of new life. Today we're going to be on day four. And uh, we see that God, as Ellen read the scripture this morning, he hangs the stars in the sky alongside the sun and the moon. And the Hebrew word for today is moedim. And moedim means sacred seasons. So day four is is an invitation by God for us to enter into the the sacred seasons, this rhythm of time. But if we're really honest about it and we look at our own lives, our lives are more irregular, right? They're more chaotic, maybe absent of rhythm. And if that's the case, we wonder why God seems so far away or why growing in our faith can be so elusive at times or why we can be so forgetful about all the times that God has worked in our lives. So what day four does is day four is an invitation for us to respond to these appointed times in our life, these sacred seasons. And instead of rather wishing them away or, or hoping there was actually another script that was gonna be written, but rather it's fully living in to each season. It's so like maybe if you're in high school, you're thinking, oh, I just can't wait to college. Everything's gonna be better when I finally get to college. But you know, if you do that, you're missing out of that time in high school. And it goes by quick, doesn't it? Or maybe there's a time for you and it's a time of singleness right now. And you think, I just want that significant relationship. And not living into this time that God has for you at this moment. We all find ourselves at different seasons in life. But what I hope you hear today is this is that God is in each one of our seasons and that each season has a purpose. God doesn't waste our seasons and we can learn so much from them. Now, living here in Austin, there are many perks, uh, like going to the musical, the great entertainment that we have here in Austin and and the great food. Um, But I also like that you can almost year-round wear flip-flops and burks. Grady, wearing your birch today, supporting that. I like that. His feet are a little bit cold, but he can still do it. Uh, We don't have to go out and scrape our windshields very often, if ever, right, of ice. That's a nice thing to have here. But basically, with having such great weather, and a buddy of mine lives in Southern California, it's kind of the same thing. What we miss out on is living the seasons to their full extent, right? Um, I mean, we know there's a winter here. I guess we're in winter right now. It's just mild. Um, And uh, summer, well, it's way too hot, right? Way too long for many of us. Uh, Spring, maybe wait just a little too short. Uh, It's a beautiful time, but it's like, is it here? Yeah, it's here. Now it's gone. Um, And then fall, it's just football season, right? So we we love fall. Um, But these yearly seasons that we, we go through, we have... They are metaphors um, for daily life. And God can use them to shape our lives, to 
to stir in us and to bring about the good that he's embedded in each one of us. When we think of it in those terms, winter is more of a season of waiting. When I lived in Chicago, um, people there used to joke about they have three seasons in Chicago, right? Um, And uh, there's winter, summer, and construction. That's how they figured it out. If you've lived, ever been in Chicago, you don't even have to live there, just like gone there for a day or two. I mean, it is like bitter cold. I don't care how many layers you have on, but that wind that comes off the lake, it just goes right through you. And winters there can be cold and bleak. I remember one time in January, the sun did not come out for 25 days. I mean, I mean people were depressed, like literally, like coming out of this depression, just cold and bleak. Waiting for spring to come. So sometimes for us in the season of waiting, uh, one thing that's necessary for us is patience. As we wait upon the Lord, maybe uh, waiting for that job, waiting for that cure, waiting for that special someone. And waiting can be so, so hard because oftentimes or at times, it appears as though God is silent or he's absence. But then there's spring. Spring is the, the season of hope. So some of the people that I talked to uh, were, what's your favorite season? Spring kept coming up. Um, and for good reason, right? It's when dead things come back to life. It's when seeds are planted. It's when we actually get to go outside. Not like this is cold enough weather, but it kind of keeps us inside more than usual. We get to see our neighbors, Spring allows our hearts to hope again. During spring, it's when we finally get the news that we got the job. We finally got accepted in that college that we've been dreaming about and hoping to be in. It's being newlywed. It's those first steps. It's, it's when talents are recognized. It's when we get good results from the doctor. These possibilities are limitless. And if you're in the season of spring and, and these just are wonderful new beginnings are happening, um, just know that it's okay to be there. Sometimes we might feel like, well, we know maybe someone in our family or a friend or something, and they're going through something really hard. And sometimes it can almost feel like, do I have to feel bad that I'm not in that season? But we don't have to be. Again, God wants us to live into each one. And then summer. Summer is, is the time of abundance. The days are longer, right? School is out. Time seems limitless. We can plant in our gardens. We can barbecue. We have time to bike or to run or to swim or go on vacation. Maybe time to drink some wine on the back porch with some friends. See the fireworks. Have some ice cream. Run through sprinklers. And it's during this season of summer, which is one of my favorite seasons, but it's, it's during this time that we can claim the great promise of God that we find in John's gospel, that Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it in abundance. But too quickly, it seems, or maybe not too quickly here in Austin, it goes a little bit long, summer gives way to fall. And fall can be a time of letting go, or loss. For us, uh, our son just went to college, so this fall was a letting go of him to, to go to school. Um, and uh, 
if you're in the season of fall, maybe that's the same for you. Or maybe it's the letting go of a friendship or of a friend or maybe a loved one. Maybe it's letting go of a dream. Um, and when that time comes for us in the letting go is we have to almost balance because part of the feelings that we experience are just anxiety and sometimes bitterness comes with it, sometimes just pain and grief. But we have to balance that as well with thanksgiving and gratitude uh, that for the time that we did have, the time that we did get to experience. Uh, this past year, it's almost been a year last, in spring, my brother's wife, after 20 years of battling cancer, passed away. And it's just been just so hard to see my brother and the heartbreak and the, the grief he's had to go through. But at the same time, I see Jeff, and, and he is balancing it with just such a thanksgiving. Of, he's so grateful. They started dating in high school. And all the years, and, and although she was only 51 years old, he's so grateful and for the two wonderful children that they have. And all of those times. And so it's balancing that together. What I hope you hear is that, again, whatever season that you might be currently in, is that when you accept it, that you can just live into it. <laughs> because seasons are, again, shaped by God, and God uses them. And, and I believe in each, se- each season, we experience God's grace uh, in a little different, in different ways. So in winter, when we're, it's that time of waiting. I believe God's grace truly sustains us during those times. And in spring, the, the time of hope, you know, we just live into God's grace, I believe, in those times even more fully. But then summer is, is, is a time of abundance. And in that time, it's, grace is, is something we're just so grateful for that all that God has given us. And then when we enter the seasons of, seasons of fall, again, that letting go, the pain and the heart that can come with us, grace draws near. Because we are told in scripture that God is close to the brokenhearted. And if we're honest, the seasons for many of us in life sometimes, it just feels out of control. Just as we were, Mark was sharing during our, our time of prayer of confession, we look around this world and there's just so much brokenness. It seems like too often we're turning on and there's another shooting at school. Or even closer to home, we find out another friend or a family member has cancer. Some, someone's diagnosed with a disease. Or a relationship that we've had for a long time begins to crumble. We lose a job. Maybe we're drowning in just loneliness. We look around and everybody has somebody, it seems. But we just feel so lonely. And that's why I believe Genesis chapter 50, which was the second reading that Ellen read for us this morning, uh, is so important, especially in our difficult seasons of life, because it teaches us a vital truth, and I've alluded to it already, that God has a purpose for each season of our life. God has a purpose for the season that you are in. Today we're going to look at the life of Joseph, and using this just an amazing story of Joseph, um, the turmoil that he went through. It, when I think of this story, it makes me ask questions of, you know, what do I do when God does appear silent? Because 
Sure seems like he's silent at times in, in Joseph's story or, or maybe inactive. God, where are you? So Joseph, a, a little bit about him is that uh, Joseph was, he was 17 years old. So there's 13 chapters in Genesis that is devoted to Joseph. So it's a lot. But I'm going to try to do this in just a couple minutes here to kind of go through his life. But he's 17 years old, and one of the first things we hear is that he's out with his brother um, as they're tending the flocks, and that he comes home and he says, hey, Dad, they aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And he's got like 11 brothers. That's not going to go over well, right, with that, that group. It's telling on them, so he's a snitch. And that adds to it that these brothers already can see it's so clearly evident that Joseph was their dad's favorite. So they, there is like... This isn't like just bad family vibes going on here. They hate Joseph. And then the dad sends him out again. He says, will you go check on your brothers for me? So Joseph goes and does that. And he, he's walking towards his brother. brothers. All this hatred starts to come up. And as he's getting closer, they start having the conversation that you hope that none of your family members ever have. Do we kill him or do we sell him? You know, do we kill him or sell him? And they're like, and one of the brothers said, well, why don't we just throw him into this well for a little while and then let's sell him. That's probably the better thing to do. And so then they sell him into slavery. They don't tell their dad they did that. They, they take his beautiful coat. Of course, Joseph had the, the prettiest and the nicest coat of all the brothers. And they sprinkle some blood on it and tell the dad that a ferocious animal killed him. But though he was sold into slavery. And then that's when Potiphar, who's an Egyptian ruler, comes along. And, and he goes into Potiphar's home. And he's a slave there. But while he's there in Potiphar's home, he gains more and more responsibility and more and more power. And, and he can see that probably he's a, Joseph is a young man, but he's a man of integrity. And so he sees that in Joseph. But then Miss Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar takes a little interest in Joseph. And not the kind of interest that she should be taking, right? And so she's taking that interest. But Joseph's saying, no, none of this. And he, he gets away. He turns and he runs. But Miss Potiphar, she accuses him that he did do something. So he gets thrown into prison for two years. And while he's in prison and he's with some other officials that have got in there. There's two specific one. Um, there's the, the, the baker and uh, the cupbearer that are also in there. And so Joseph's talking to them, and all of a sudden these two guys have dreams, and Joseph helps interpret them. And, and for one, the cupbearer, it's a good, the interpretation's a good thing because he's going to be restored to his position. But for the other, he's going to die. So that's not too good. But Joseph says to the cupbearer, he says, when, you, when you're out of here and you're back into your position, would you remind Pharaoh that, that I'm here and tell him of me? But the cupbearer gets out and he forgets um, Joseph. And then things are going on and then Pharaoh has these dreams and no one can interpret these dreams for him. And then finally he goes, oh, the cupbearer goes, I know someone who can. This guy named Joseph, he's in jail. So they go down, they get Joseph out. And Joseph interprets these two dreams and one of them is that there is going to be seven years of famine that's coming. And it is going to be so devastating that, that there's going to be seven years that precede it that he needs to store up as much grain and food as possible to make it through these seven years of famine. And then we see that he's promoted to prime minister. Joseph does just that. 
So that's kind of an overview of Joseph's life. And then the famine hits, and Joseph's brothers then have to come down to get food into Egypt. Joseph knows who they are, but they don't know who he is and the position that he's come into. So on those scripture that we read, the second one there, after 25, about 25 years of separation from his family, again, where there was jealousy and there was rejection, the moment of truth happens. And Joseph has this incredible encounter with his brothers that we see. Joseph's brothers saw that, uh, um, when Joseph saw that their dad was dead, uh, they started talking to themselves, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all that we did? So when they go to see Joseph, they're like, hey, dad told you to be nice to us, so please do that. And then what we see down below that after here, is they say at the very bottom is that when Joseph heard the message, he wept. And I think he wept for a lot of reasons. He wept for the sadness of his his dad's death. He wept for the brokenness that he had experienced, probably. But I believe he wept, too, because just out of thankfulness for his transformed heart. You see, Joseph was changed. Again, when he was young, he, he was um, the favorite. He was kind of just arrogant. And, and now we see Joseph going through all of these painful seasons of being abandoned, right, of being in prison and being lonely. And now we see this humble man who's in a powerful position. And when his brothers get there, again, they're, they're thinking we've, we tried to, thought about killing him, we sold him to slavery. You know, he's gonna repay us for, he's gonna just for what we deserve. But Joseph doesn't seek revenge. And when his response shocks him, when he says, don't be afraid, Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. You meant to bring evil against me. But God intended it for good to bring about the saving of many lives. You intended it for harm. You meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. And this is such an important truth for us to embrace. And if we're honest, it can be such a difficult one to embrace as well. Because God's definition of good is much different than our definition of good. To us, good is what makes us happy, right? What makes us satisfied, what we enjoy. We want lots of summertime. For us, good is the absence of pain. But God defines good as that which leads to Christ-likeness. That which leads to bringing us to trust him more. That which leads to advancing his kingdom. So I want you to think about your life and about what season you're in. And if it's in the bottom of the well season where you just feel abandoned. Maybe you're in that, that like the prison season of just feeling like you're waiting or, or just in that time of loss. And it's in these moments of these seasons, especially the difficult ones, that we feel like God's almost against us. It's not for us at all. And for a lot of us, it's not theoretical, it's real. It's not past tense, it's present tense. This is how I feel right now. And for some of us, others of us, we look back 10, 20, 30 years 
And we're still wondering, what was that season all about? Is anything good coming out of it? What redemptive is going to come out of that part of my life? As you're thinking of something, I want to share with you uh, one for, uh, for Tara and I. One of those seasons. What was a season of great loss. Uh, and that's when our unborn daughter, Avery, died. We're, we're 18 years later. We have three beautiful, amazing kids. But if you ask me the reason, if you ask me the purpose for our loss, we still don't know. We might never know on this side of heaven. You ask, was God present? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. So much so. And you see, as we look at Joseph's life, his character, who God intended him to become and needed him, was shaped through suffering, as it often is in our lives. In our suffering, God has our attention in a way that he doesn't have it almost at any other time. In our suffering, God takes our broken heart and he starts mending them together and to become the person that he wants us to be. See, God is much more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. And that's hard to hear at times, but it's true. He wants us to grow and our faith to grow stronger. And we think about a lot of times that those things that we go through, we might not understand why, but so often isn't it the case that God brings someone into our, our life that is going through a similar season that we have gone through? And not that we have all the answers, but we can say, yes, God is present. God does love you. And more than anything, we can just be present with them as they grieve, as they mourn, as they question, as they wrestle. And all those things as Christians are okay to do. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 8, we read these words. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. When's the last time you rejoiced in your suffering? Instead of just wished it away. Because we know that our suffering produces perseverance. And many times the things that we have gone through in the past help us for what lies ahead. It's building that within us. It's growing our faith, again, in ways that other things can't. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And isn't that what we see in Joseph's life? And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Friends, that's good news. Very rarely does anyone die for the righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, he shows his own love for us in this, that while we were still 
sinners, while we had turned our back on God, Christ died for us. Friends, there are stories in the Old Testament that whisper of Jesus. But the story of Joseph shouts it. See, Jesus is the ultimate Joseph. Jesus was also betrayed for some silver. Jesus was wrongly accused. Jesus was also given the cup of suffering, not for something that he did, but for what we did. Jesus, though he deserved to be in the place of God, chose not to. Why? For you and for me. Jesus was beaten and killed. Jesus is the ultimate example of good being brought out of evil. Do you see the parallels between his life and Joseph? Again, 13 chapters devoted to the life of Joseph. Joseph. But, and, and again, he was sold into, into slavery, wrongly accused. His family abandons him and on and goes time in prison. But if you read those 13 chapters, starting in verse 37 up to 50, there's one phrase that you'll see over and over again. And that phrase is, and God was with Joseph. When he was in the well, God was with Joseph. When he was in slavery, God was with Joseph. When he was wrongly accused, God was with Joseph. Never left him. If you're in a season where God appears to be silent or absent, my prayer is that you will hear these words too, that God is with you. And just because we can't see what God is doing, that doesn't mean that he's not doing something. And here's the real kicker. Whatever God is doing, it is good. It is good. For over 2,000 years, Christians have been doing this thing called communion. Where we, we take bread and a cup and we're reminded, as we are about to do here, that we are reminded that even in the midst of the most difficult seasons, that God is present and that we can trust him. Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was poured out for us. He paid the price for our sin. And in communion, we are reminded that he conquered death. He didn't stay on the cross. He rose from the grave so that we could have confidence that there is nothing, not even the worst imaginable season that you have been in or that you will be in. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. And so what your action for this week is, um, you can type it into your phone if you want to or write it down. But find a card or find something where you can see it often and write on, maybe on one side of it, seasons have a purpose. And on the other side, Romans 5, 3 through 8. That through those, God is developing our character. God is drawing us closer to him.